0: Focus Hour, we uh, made an announcement today that we are starting a new church in uh, the Navarre area, and uh, uh, the details will be coming in the mail Monday or Tuesday. If you weren't here this morning, you can see what's happening, but uh, we'll be talking much more about that in the weeks ahead, so just to let you know what you missed. (coughs) Book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 2 yet. We're finishing that chapter up. Last week we just saw how folks were being measured by God for their unfaithfulness, especially uh, in the relationship with him. And also the illustration was in the relationship in marriage, how uh, a defiled marriage, which, would, which meant in that culture that uh, just rejecting someone else for various reasons. But it seems, though, the big concern was that uh, there were those men who were divorcing their wives of their young youth for uh, younger women from uh, uh, pagan cultures, and we we're worshiping pagan gods as a result, and it was just a mess. That is what uh, Nehemiah was dealing with in the book of Nehemiah, especially the last part of the book. And uh, Malachi was a prophet during that time with Nehemiah, and so Malachi was writing about that issue here. And so we took that uh, story all the way up through verse sixteen. <clears throat> Reminding us that God uh, uh, hates divorce. I said last week that God hates divorce, but he loves divorced people. And I just want to remind all of us of that, that he's a wonderful God who offers us his grace and mercy and goodness. Actually, all through this book of Malachi, this is really the prophet speaking, uh, God speaking through the prophet. And even if he says hard things, uh, interwoven in the text is God's grace, because when God confronts us, He confronts us with the purpose of restoring us. He wants us to recognize his truth, change the course of our life, repent, and come to him. And then he does his wonderful thing of mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. And so that's being offered here, even though it sounds very harsh. But they had gone to a point where they needed harsh talk. Sometimes we need that. Uh, And so uh, in verse 17, as we wrap up chapter 2, There's another issue that comes to the surface here. And it says it this way this is the Lord speaking through Malachi You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, In what way have we wearied him? And then the response from God is, In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or you say, Where is the God of justice? And uh, that echoes something that I think is kind of a common problem in some people's lives. Uh, It's not an uncommon thing for people to blame God for all kinds of things that are going wrong. And here in this text, God was addressing those who were actually, as we'll see, were blame-shifting their own hypocrisies upon others and even upon God himself. Uh, he was even, even we're going to see, calling God to account. Really, in that very verse, it calls God to give an accounting. Uh, you know, everyone, you know, here's God saying everyone who does evil is good and so on. Where is the God of justice? It's almost a, a sarcastic uh, accusation against the living God. Can't imagine saying that. But it has uh, its basis from, really, the book of Genesis. I'm going to take you back on that uh, way back to the beginning of Genesis, because we need to be reminded of this common problem that affects many people, and perhaps it's even affected us in some way in our past. In Genesis chapter 3, just reminding ourselves of the, uh, the issue with Adam and Eve and how they took from the fruit of the tree, disobeyed God's law, and so uh, it says that uh, in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, having, having done this. And they, were, they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And then the Lord God called Adam to Adam and said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said to him, who told you that you were naked? And then here's the big question. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And here we go. Then the man said to him verse 12, well, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Every guy's uh, shifting of, of, of blame when something goes wrong in the house. Uh, we have an ongoing issue in our house, which is lost keys. Uh, there, there's just a number of things. And so if the keys are lost, uh, I automatically blame Marilyn. It would never be me because uh, I'm one of those people that's a fanatic at putting everything in the same place. Uh, but uh, when I do that, uh, I'm a mess because then I can't logically think out of where I, what I did with them because logically they went in the wrong place and so I can't find myself. At least with Marilyn, I go, look, look in the fridge. I might find them in the fridge. I know where to look. And uh, I usually can find her keys, but I can never find mine if I lose them. It's just a problem that we have in our home. I don't think anybody here probably has that problem. Just Marilyn and I, we have that problem. And we love each other deeply, no matter, even if we lose keys. Uh, Someone else was at our house the other night and said that they had uh, had the car running and they and and had locked the keys in the car while the car was running and they were out of town and the husband was in another part of another another out of town somewhere. And they were calling across the country. And, you know, you you just can't you can't resolve those problems on your own. So you uh, sometimes we need help. But uh, here's here's the classic example of this, that he's immediately blaming her. And then the Lord turns to her and says, uh, you know, kind of the same question. What is this that you have done? Verse 13, and she responds, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And you have you know, both of these adults who are doing exactly what we oftentimes do. We blame someone else for our own issues. Uh, and, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. But what's really happening here is far more serious than just blaming each other. Because when Adam says, The woman you gave me, What Adam is doing is accusing God of a flawed creation. And and in fact, when we uh, take a a slant against our uh, wives or our husbands uh, and want to blame and kind of accuse them of things and so on, and sometimes it's cute and funny, but normally it's not. But when we do that, we're really kind of in a sense attacking God because God's the one who gave you your mate. God's the one who led you together and uh, he's fashioned her or him in his image. And uh, that really does boil down to that. Uh, Eve is blaming, of course, the, uh, the Satan in this case uh, and, and says, so the serpent maybe do this. And as well, uh, you know, you can just hear her saying the serpent who you put in the garden. It's almost like it's God's fault. The serpent is there. And that uh, there's no fault in either of these two as they respond to God. Uh, You could almost hear uh, Eve. She could have added this simple thing if she wanted to throw the spear back at Adam. Uh, The one who's supposed to lead me uh, allowed me to do this. That could have been thrown in the text. It wasn't, thank goodness. But it could have been. This is a very ugly scene. Uh, Martin Luther commented on this in his lecture on Genesis. He uh, accused Adam, and it's a very severe statement. He said this about Adam, uh, Adam saying this to God, Thou, Lord, hast sinned. And I don't know that that's exactly the tone Adam had in mind, but that's really how it rings. When you start blaming God for your own problems, that's not a very good thing. It's possible, isn't it? I think that many of us have probably in trials or trouble. We might have somehow accidentally not really intending, but we might have blamed God for some of that. I was thinking about this the other day. There's things that happen in our lives, uh, tragedies, trials, troubles, and it's not above us perhaps to realize that, you know, God could have prevented that uh, in God's sovereign will. God, God, uh, should have seen that I've been faithful. And if I've been faithful to him, we should have been able to avoid that problem uh, in our lives. And we can go through a litany of things that we could say he could have done. Uh, I was thinking the Lord could have blocked Russia from invading Ukraine. Could have easily done that. Uh, The Lord could have uh, not allowed Roe versus Wade to occur and all the millions of babies that have been murdered since then. The Lord could have blocked President Biden and, and, uh, and Vice President from being elected, but he didn't. Uh, the Lord uh, could have uh, prevented that car accident you might have had or stopped the, your son or daughter from uh, you know, becoming very rebellious in their past. The Lord could have allowed uh, that contract to be renewed that you've been waiting for. He could have kept you from becoming so ill that you can hardly move. Uh, the Lord could have done all of that, but sometimes in his sovereign plans, he allows these things, and I don't understand why he does, and neither do you. And so oftentimes in our questioning God, sometimes it comes across as though, well, if God, you had just done this or that, and that is accusing God, and it's a problem. So when Malachi is talking to these folks, and he's bringing this issue up, and they're saying this uh, to to, to the issue of where is the God of justice, Uh, That's really what's happening here. They're just blaming God for their own life. And we've already said that uh, the culture was steeped in sin, steeped in things that were not honoring to God. And while they're going through all that, yet they're blaming God for all the issues and problems that they have. And that's sad. I wonder if anybody here has perhaps had that happen in your life. You just felt like, "I, I just, it just seems like God could have done something different here. There's uh, an example of that. There's a person in the word of God in Psalm 73 who walks us through this issue. I want you to go with me here. Psalm 73 and look at the writing of Asaph who talks about this very thing. I'm so thankful that God put in the Bible things that we struggle with. Because as we struggle in life, we have examples, and these examples are meant to walk us through how to respond when we're going through trials and circumstances that are so far beyond us, and we don't know where to turn. And so the writer of Asaph here has some thoughts for us that are very common thoughts for many of us. He begins by saying, truly, God is, a God, uh, is good to Israel. And then he adds, to such as are pure in heart. But then he's categorizing here because he says, but as for me, Uh, My feet had almost stumbled, Uh, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is is firm. Uh, They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them, and they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? And here he goes in verse 12 saying, behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. The first thing he's going to identify here is that those around him who he's saying are are well off and they don't seem to be suffering like those around me are doing it, even myself, he's going to tell us. But it's a false perspective. It's, It's a perception that uh, that we see sometimes on the surface. I, you know, you, you and I don't see the real life of people. We only see what we see. And it's amazing how, uh, and we all know this because you hear this comment all the time, how, can, uh, how do people deal with uh, life and death issues when they don't have Christ in their life? How do they, how do they carry themselves through these things? And sometimes you'll go to a funeral and it'll be just a broken mess. Other times it'll be just neutral and there's nothing happening. And Christians, we have a funeral and we're, we're of course, we're crying, we're upset. we're uh, Our hearts are, are broken, but we all have a love for each other that carries us and a hope that carries us beyond death and so on. But as you look at people, you can get that false perception here. Verse 13, he says, Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. And what's happened here as he speaks, he's, He's speaking from the very perspective of having lost eternity's view. Uh, We can look at things around us and when our eyes are looking around us, we're going to be depressed. When our eyes are looking around us, we're going to look at all the wrong things. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to have trials more than we do. Uh, We're going to have a sense of almost depression. And only when your eyes are on Christ can you look up and find hope. He's going to lead us to that, but this is honest thoughts by someone who, right now, seems to be looking the wrong way. Verse 14, for all day long I have pla- I have been plagued and chastened every morning. I don't know what this is about Asaph. I, I don't know exactly what he's talking about. He's got a perspective here that things are bad all the time. I, I have learned that there are people even... In uh, our church here, sometimes you get sick. We have some folks who are sick and they're sick all the time. Our prayer sheet has several names and they're sick all the time. And sometimes uh, you don't want to take their name off because they need prayer constantly. And sometimes we sit back and say, you know, why, God, do you allow that? We're not blaming God, but we're just saying, Lord, why do you allow that? That's, that long journey for that person must be really tough. But I've also visited folks like that and I have found in them an inner joy that is very surprising because they've learned that they have no choice but to trust God even though it hurts even though it's hard even though it continues. Uh, Asaph is reminding us that there are those who constantly daily uh, and, uh, and over a long period of time go through trials and suffering and uh, may God give you strength if that's someone in this room going through there, someone listening, that you need to be encouraged, and even in this text, because Asaph, who says this, and whatever issue he's dealing with, maybe it's just his perspective, and it's not long-term, but it may feel like it's long-term. I know when you have a, a, a pain that doesn't go away, uh, I know that that can feel as though it's just been an eternity, and it may only have been four months. But four months can feel like an eternity when something hurts bad all the time, Right? And so that may be his perspective here. But he goes on and says, if I, had said, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, just all this issue of his perceptions, it was too painful for me. I couldn't handle it, is what he's saying. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. I spent time with God. I got along with God. I read God's word and I was reminded from God that God is sovereign. God is fair. God is just. And God will always deal with those who it appears he's not dealing with right now. There is a finality to everyone's life and God, the righteous judge, is still on the throne and is still going to deal with those issues. So he goes on and says this, surely, now he's going to give uh, three verses that talk about what God's going to do in his wrath eventually. And so here's what he says, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment, he says, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. When I read that, I just am reminded that there is this strong uh, reality that God's going to judge. And in God's judgment, God is going to judge very righteously. And it's going to be a very tough day for some of these folks. Unsaved people, uh, those who we call unregenerate, unsaved people, those who have said no to the gospel, Uh, those who live their lives apart from uh, any influence of God in their life, or at least from Jesus Christ, because many may be religious, but they don't have Christ in their life. All of those folks one day will be the enemy of God. And God will not be gracious in that day of judgment. He will not be merciful in that day of judgment. He will not relent from his uh, decision to stand against them. You shall despise their image. God will say, go away from me. I do not know you. And that's not a friendly thing for any loving God to be saying. That's why some folks don't believe this, don't accept this truth. But there it is in writing from Asaph's writing. And so that's a, a, a strict, rigid truth. So you know, if, you're, if you're in the mode of maybe you have blamed God for something, I want to come back to that. Because if we kind of do that in our lives, saying it's not fair, God has not been fair with me, I just want to remind us that God has been extremely fair with us in the fact that he has offered us his grace and mercy. It's always there. It's waiting for you to receive it. And God has... Determined to remind the world, and he reminds us that he loves the world, he gave his only begotten Son for the world, that whoever would believe in him uh, would not perish but have everlasting life. He offers that, he still does today. He's doing that even now. The other thing that we see in the text is that for those who remain faithful to him, so these are saints. The next uh, three or four verses also uh, describe what God's going to do for the faithful. So if you're going through trials and trouble and you're, you're not blaming God, you're just going through difficulties, you're hanging on, wanting to know what's right, listen to the tone that he writes here in verse 21. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. Uh, we're going to see uh, 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 several things here, at least six things here that he's going to tell us. Uh, First of all, he's reminding all of us that there there is conviction in the heart of the faithful. If you're faithful to Christ and things aren't going well and you've perhaps judged someone, misjudged the Lord, Uh, maybe you've even blamed God at some point in time. Here's the wonderful thing about God in our lives is that he's not going to leave us there. He's going to convict us through his Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening as Asaph writes this. I was vexed in my mind. The next thing he says, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He's talking about repentance He's just saying, and this is what God does to believers. So if you've had trials or issues and perhaps you've had a tendency to just feel like maybe God's abandoned you or you feel kind of alone or rejected, I want to just remind you that if you're a child of God... What he wants from you is to be convicted this morning that he has not changed. He's always there. He loves you. He gave his life for you. That has not changed. And those conditions are, are standard with him. So therefore, if you're if you're trying to blame him or you're rejecting him or you're angry at God, uh, here's Asaph saying, I'm under great conviction as I realize what I've said, and what I've done to him. And even alluding that I might be blaming God. And there's repentance that's offered to us, and we would hopefully react to that and repent of our sin. When he says, I was like a beast before, he's just saying kind of what Isaiah said when Isaiah saw the Lord. I, I, uh, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm, I'm completely naked before God. I, I, I have nothing uh, that gives me any kind of sense of righteousness. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. There's this blessing of peace for those who are faithful. Peace with God and even the peace of God. Then he says, you hold me by my right hand. So there's a sense of security that comes from the Lord. All this is coming from uh, Asaph spending time alone with God in the sanctuary, recognizing his great need and recognizing that he was wrong and, and even looking around him and looking at people and comparing himself to others. And there's security for the faithful. And then the last thing he says, you will guide me in your counsel. There's spiritual direction for the faithful. All this is offered to us as we turn our eyes to him. And the last thing he says, and afterward, you receive me to glory. <laughs> so there's the sense of eternity uh, in heaven for the faithful. So we have all of that at our fingertips. He, uh, Asaph writing first negative, uh, looking around him He gets alone with God. He gets his eyes on the Lord. And now he realizes that as he does that, that God leads us into this pattern of conviction, repentance, peace, and then reminding us that he's our security. He's the spiritual leader of our lives. Uh, He's the one who's leading us to a place in heaven and glory. So there's judgment coming from him, but there's this blessing of him leading us and walking with us. So if you're hurting today, I just want to remind you that this is where you find your joy. This is where you find your peace. This is where you find uh, a sense of, of just bringing you out of the sense of trial that you're in as you look around you. The problem wasn't so much that these folks were asking for equity and justice. Going back to our text in Malachi. Uh, yes they're asking for that, and there's nothing wrong with asking for equity and justice and Lord, uh, would you be just in this situation, Lord, would you uh, help me through this situation? Would you deliver me from this and that there's nothing wrong with praying that, but he spells out exactly what the problem is as we've already studied this text in that when they're saying you have uh, you have wearied him, why why have they wearied him because you're saying that God does evil uh by uh, helping, uh, helping the evil and being good to the evil, and, and he delights in them. And, uh, and of course, God delights in, in those who are going to one day respond to him. And so I want to take you back to what we had in our first week. Go back to uh, chapter 1. Maybe it was our second week that we did this. Back in chapter 1 to remind us that here's what they're complaining about. Back in verse 11. Uh, from top, from, for, for From the rising of the sun even to its going down... He's telling them, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Now he's telling these Jewish people this, who were uh, held captive in Babylon for over 70 years. They're now back in their land. They're, they've been there now for quite some time, and now Nehemiah is over them. And they're, uh, they're, they're angry that, why would you bless the Gentiles? This is in every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a, a pure offering For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Remember he was telling them uh, that even Gentiles are going to worship me with pure motives because you folks are not doing that. He was accusing them all the way through this text. And so now in verse 17 of chapter 2, he's basically coming back to that very point. Uh, they're, They're accusing God of delighting in those who are Gentiles, delighting in uh, the nations. And yes, he is delighting in those who are going to respond to him. Uh, I want to remind all of us that uh, responding to God is how he delights in me. Uh, when I turn my life over to him, that's how he responds to me. Uh, and so that, that's a, a crucial thing for us to know. God only accepts and loves those who come to him in repentance And by faith and obedience to the word of God, when we come to him, his love then envelops us. Uh, But those who reject him, how can he love them? So he's not loving just blanket coverage, loving the Gentiles. He's loving those who are going to come to him in a pureness and a desire to worship. These folks are coming to him, uh, asking him to receive them and hear them while they're living in absolute sin. That's the problem. So God looks at our heart. He looks at our motives. And while they're accusing him, here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. I don't know if you catch that, but that's sarcasm. behold he is coming then he says the Lord of hosts remember the 21 times that's going to be said says the Lord of hosts says God Almighty Uh, God's not messing around God is coming Uh, his messenger is going to prepare the way that's going to happen he's going to come to his temple that's where remember the priests who are serving in the temple in this whole text in Malachi they're in the temple leading the temple but they are uh, also worshiping pagan gods they've they've uh, Divorce their wives. There's just a mess going on. And so while they're coming to him and accusing God of not doing what he should do and uh, favoring the wrong people, they're the ones who are living in hypocrisy and then asking God for favors. So he's saying to them, God is going to come. I'm, and it's in the first person. personal. Uh, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That should scare the boots off these guys. And even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. He is coming. So basically, if I can put it into my own words, here's what God's saying. Don't worry, Israel. Those who live in sin, those who disobey my word, those who attempt to sacrifice before me while living in hypocrisy, they will suddenly find themselves standing before me, even those who say I am their delight. And the God of justice will judge with fairness and righteous equity. And then he tells them, my messenger will cry out. And we know what that cry out is going to be in Matthew 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's going to be the cry. Now, what is interesting uh, in this writing is Malachi is delivering this message, is that Malachi's very name, uh, Malachi, actually means messenger. This is God's messenger. So you can imagine these folks, as they're hearing uh, hearing this uh, message coming from uh, Malachi, whose name actually means messenger, that now he said the messenger's going to come and prepare the way, and then the Lord's going to come. And I think they were, you would think they would be scared to death if Malachi is the messenger, and he is a messenger in reality. He is giving a message here. It's a, a major message before God does the next thing that God will do. But as they're hearing this, that God's going to come to the temple, that should have scared them to death. Uh, we know from history that that didn't happen. Matter of fact, remember we said uh, uh, from the study of Nehemiah the one of the, in chapter 13, the last thing that Nehemiah said was, Lord, I have purged them uh, of, of all things fleshly. I have, I have purged that out of them. And of course, we know that that was maybe temporary, very temporary. Uh, but those folks went right back to their lifestyle. So 400 years goes, and there are always some who are faithful, some who are walking with God, and, uh, but the majority uh, are not and were not. And uh, so, as history records, uh, the Lord finally came, uh, and we'll talk about that next week. What I wanted to remind us about this morning is this. This word that God's giving is just an address to us. It's an address to us about, as we read history and we read this story, The living word of God is saying to us today that this is still a problem in people's lives. This is still something that people who say that they're Christians, people who attend Christian churches, uh, are living in two worlds. They're going to church and looking good on Sunday and trying to be a part of things. And they're, who knows if they're not even in positions of leadership, even pastors. And yet... In their personal lives, in their time with uh, their families, when they're they're, they're in their friends outside of church, there's a double standard going on. And that's what that's what he's addressing here. And that certainly still happens today. And the caution here is that, yes, God is still offering them, even in this uh, difficult warning, he's still telling them what's going to happen, giving them the opportunity for grace. So this morning, I just want to remind us that God is still giving us an opportunity for grace. And so he's using this word to remind us that God's looking at the heart and he's looking at those who say with their lips that they're honoring and following him, uh, but really in a personal way, that's not happening. And God looks at our heart and he evaluates us. I uh, would have you remind you of what David wrote in his psalm of repentance in Psalm 51 because what he writes at the end of that psalm is something that needs to be applied to our lives and we should be careful to know that as he writes in uh, really verse 10 of Psalm 51 when he says created me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me Uh, uh, David was concerned about God setting him aside uh, when he said that. And he goes on verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Uh, he's just, uh, as he writes here, and then he gets down to the uh, verse 17 and he just says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. Even now, even in this book of Malachi, God was waiting for that. And God still throws that out today. But very soon, very soon, very soon, Jesus Christ is returning. I imagine that that believers right now in Europe, those who are going through this uh, terrible uh, theater of war, I'm sure many of them are... Uh, have their eyes lifted up uh, looking for the great redemption that Jesus is bringing when he's going to come. But you and I both know that Jesus has told us he's going to come and he's going to arrive how? Suddenly, alarmingly, powerfully. He's going to come uh, victoriously and especially from our text, he's going to come judiciously as a righteous judge. Uh, Alpine has the opportunity. You have the opportunity today to hear this message from God through this prophet and realize that God's looking for a right heart. He's looking for a heart that loves him. We just uh, took the elements together. And uh, I didn't read it today, but you know that text that Paul continues to write about taking, taking the Lord's table with a wrong heart and how sad that is, and how God sometimes has to deal with us when we do those things. So I don't know if someone here today took this table with the wrong heart. I don't know if you were confessed something in your life that should be out of your life. I I don't know when you came to the table today. It's tough for us to come to the table, take elements, and worship in this intimate way, and then think that we can go home and make that thing right. I've just found that when we don't make things right and we try to worship, it just drives us further away from that intimate walk with Christ. And that's concerning and that's happening in God's church. So I love you. I pray that you're right with him. And if you're not right with him, I want to call you to hear God today, hear his word, hear his love for you, hear his warning to you, and understand that the time is brief. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Somebody asked me, uh, I've, and you've probably been asked this, many of us have had these discussions. When I read the book of Revelation, I don't see the United States in there. What's going to happen to us? And, you know, I've often thought about this and wanting to say this. It's kind of depressing, but let me just tell you. Who's, uh, why do we have to be involved in anything over there? And what is interesting to me is that, as Putin just threatened the United States with a, with a nu- nuclear uh, reaction to us... Uh, we could, be, we could be zapped tomorrow and be gone. We're sitting here thinking that because we're Americans that we're somehow in this big picture and that we're going to be there at the end and uh, we're just going to live gloriously until that day comes and we're free. And, uh, I mean, it just takes one knucklehead to set something off toward us to take us out. And my point is that we can't sit here and think that we can sort of plan ourselves, strategize our lives based on what might happen I need to strategize and base my life on who he is in my life now because my life could be snatched away from me in a second and we can't play with God. So I I just want to call those who are not right with God in your heart and you know it to make things right with him now while he still offers grace and mercy. It's a simple thing. It's saying, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've been wrong. I admit that I'm... I've disobeyed you, and I ask for your mercy and forgiveness. By faith, I'm asking for that. I believe that you want to forgive me. And that's called repentance. And I, Lord, I, I will turn from, I'll turn from my independence. I'll turn from my resistance to you and give you my life. And I'm telling you, that's when you'll be free. And that's when all your fears and worries and concerns can be washed away in the one who's faithful and the one who's just to not only forgive you, but keep you, as we just read in the word today. And you can have him. Let's bow our heads and ask God's mercy in our lives today as followers, because we all need that. Lord. We-